If you would uh, turn with me to the book of Isaiah, we're in week three of a four-week series looking at uh, what's in a name, the fourfold name of King Jesus. And as we open up God's word, let's ask God to open up our hearts and the scriptures. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, enable us now to be a people who believe your word, who trust your word, and to see that indeed your word is a guard to our life and a guide to our life. Oh, Father, we acknowledge that these are not just words on a page, but they are breathed out by you, and they are useful, they are relevant, they are practical. Father, enable us to see your glory in your word, enable us to know what we are to believe about you, and also what duty you ask of your people. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin this morning by quoting the opening lines of a well-known work by Charles Dickens, written in 1859. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief, it was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light, it was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. So begins a tale of two cities. Well, a few years ago, I had a tale of two days and two messages. It was a Friday evening about this time during December, and I was in a large retail store, and it was crowded with people and things, crowded with people rushing around to buy stuff, stuff that would soon break, stuff that would soon wear out, and stuff that would soon be forgotten. In other words, stuff that would not last. And as I was trying to make my way through the aisles of this large store, I heard this voice from the overhead, and I'm sure you've heard it before as well. It went something like this. Attention, Walmart shoppers. If you're looking for this, then go here. Follow the blue light and you will see it. Well, less than 24 hours later, on that next Saturday afternoon, I was in an office supply store and then in a restaurant, crowded with people, things, and also food. And over the PA system, over the speakers in the overhead, I heard not an advertisement, but a song, not a demand, but a declaration with these words, King of King and Lord of Lords, and he shall reign forever and ever. Many of us will recognize this as the hallelujah chorus from Handel's Messiah as he takes Revelation chapters 11 and 17 and 19 and, and builds toward a crescendo of his work. 
Two days, two different messages. One about me and the other about someone, another person. One about what I need to do and the other about what I need to believe. One about stuff, stuff that will not last, and one, the other about another, someone. Someone who will last forever, who is everlasting. It was quite the contrast between that Friday night and that Saturday afternoon. Earlier in Handel's Messiah, on that way to the triumphant hallelujah chorus, are these words from Isaiah 9 that I hope are familiar to us all by now. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Well, one of the names of this child born and this son given is Everlasting Father. Well, why was this particular name included in this list? It's got to be this, to help us better understand the person and work of Jesus Christ. Remember our series from the Gospel according to Mark that we've put on pause briefly? Jesus according to the Bible where we're trying to get rid of ignorance and eliminate confusion when it, become, when it comes to the person and work of Jesus. And here, by looking at Isaiah chapter 9, our ignorance is lessened and our confusion is hopefully cleared up. What's in a name, this fourfold name of King Jesus, written by Isaiah, as it were, the fifth gospel writer? Isaiah is full of Words looking forward to the coming Messiah, looking forward to Jesus Christ, his, his work. He's writing 700 years before the birth of Christ. Join with me now as I read um, primarily verses 6 and 7, but let me read um, verses 1 through 2 and then skip down to 6 and 7. Isaiah chapter 9. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light dawned. Verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In verses 6 and 7, we see this parallelism. A child is born, emphasizing the humanity. A son is given, emphasizing the divinity. It's the mystery of the incarnation, the word becoming flesh. And so these four royal names express divine and human qualities. They help give us assurance that he is indeed Emmanuel, 
Isaiah 7, 14, God with us, as well as they announce the conditions um, to which Emmanuel will bring, among which are his fatherly care and peace. And the verbs that we read in in verses 1 and 2 are in the past tense, not because it will immediately happen, but because it will certainly happen. And here, as we see in verse 7, is a progressive, perpetual peace. There is an increase. It's progressive. There is an eternal with no end. There is a perpetual. And there is justice and righteousness. There is peace. And this will all be brought about by the passion, the urgency, the zeal of the Lord God Almighty, the Lord of hosts. Because this power and this purpose are coming from the very heart of God. Now we've been looking at the wonderful counselor. And we've gone to the mighty God. And today we move to the everlasting father. And we see the wisdom and the power necessary to care for his people as a father cares for his children. Today we're going to focus on this third name What's in this particular name of the coming Messiah, this King, Jesus Christ? And to do that, we're going to ask and explore the answers to three questions. Who is the everlasting Father? Why do we need an everlasting Father? And finally, how does this everlasting Father care for us? First, who is this everlasting Father? First of all, as I mentioned in the email that I sent out on Friday... We need to know what this does not mean. There's no revision to the doctrine of the Trinity. This does not mean that the Son is the Father. No, the doctrine of the Trinity will survive this passage. Because remember, Bible study is not just word study. You actually get yourselves into danger sometimes when you just make Bible study be a word study. It's got to be a word study in the context, the immediate context and the 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 book contest and the testament context and the entire scriptural context. Rather, he is not using this Trinitarian title for Father, for Messiah. Rather, he is portraying the Messiah as King. Because first, according to Isaiah, this is a royal name. The King is a benevolent protector. Isaiah 22, 21, and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. He will be a father and he will protect. And Isaiah 63, 16, which you heard read earlier, for you are our father, you, O Lord, are our father. And in Isaiah 64, we read again, our father. So it's according to Isaiah, but it's also according to the Old Testament. Because in the, uh, in the Old Testament, you will see the ideal king is acting like a father. For it's the way that God himself cares for his people. Yahweh, or the covenant name for God, I am the Lord. He uses the word father for protector, and we see that in, or provider in Job 29, in Isaiah 22 as guardian and as guide. And in Psalm 68, 5, we read this. That he is the father of the fatherless and the protector of widows is God in his holy protect in his holy habitation. So here the image is of the king as the protector, the king as the provider, the king as the guardian 
and the God. But as we move into the New Testament, this picture of the king as father continues. The father is king, one who loves, strengthens, supplies, protects, instructs, and disciplines continues. The one who cares for his children. And Jesus himself in the Sermon on the Mount points to this ideal father figure. The one who knows his children, who takes care of his children. I think we can all understand by now, I hope we can, that the Messiah is the wonderful counselor. The Messiah, the coming one, is the mighty God. But why everlasting father? Why do you and I, why do we need an everlasting father? Because Messiah comes to meet our need. Messiah, the promised one, comes to reconcile us to God, to to meet our need. He's the one promised ever since, as we talked about in our class beforehand, Genesis 3, the one who has been promised to come. Why do we need a wonderful counselor? Because we are ignorant. Jesus is our prophet. Why do we need a mighty God? Because we are weak and helpless. We need a king. Why everlasting father? Because we need someone who's got both the wisdom and the power to care. Because in everlasting father, you've got the combination of the wisdom of the wonderful counselor and the the power of the mighty God and here brought to bear to care for children. Look with me at this description, everlasting father. Let's look at father. Why do we need an everlasting father? Because many of us are right now or one day most certainly will be fatherless. Our culture around us is being crushed by fatherlessness under the weight of the absent father. And there's abuse and neglect even when a father may be present. That's the cultural water many of us, many of our friends swim in. And for all of us, as we all age, you know what happens? Our fathers die. They leave us. They're no longer with us. Everlasting Father. We need a Father. But there's not just any old Father. We need an everlasting Father. We need stability in the midst of overwhelming change. I don't know about you all, but um, technology is changing faster than I can keep up with. Information sources are multiplying. Um, Change is all around us. The speed of time is increasing, it seems, although you physicists out there probably would disagree. At least it seems like it's increasing. But you know what? Not all change is bad, is it? Because the Christian life should be one of change, should it not? You and I should be moving on from sin and more and more to righteousness. So change in and of itself is not bad, but but. The last thing that any of us need right now is an unstable, an unreliable, a a changing father who will 
without question, fail us, and without question, will leave us. That's the kind of fathers we have. Even the best will fail us. Even the best will leave us one day. But this coming Messiah is so wonderful that no one word can describe him. He's not just father. He's not just everlasting. He's everlasting father. He's not just that. He's wonderful counselor, mighty God, and we'll see next week the prince of peace. No one word can capture it all, and that's why we have a book of words to help us understand who our Savior is. Well, how does our everlasting Father, how does this everlasting Father care for us? How does He demonstrate His fatherly care? Well, many ways, but let's consider just two briefly. First, He provides for us. He's the Father who provides for us. He teaches us because we are ignorant. And his teaching ministry, as we will see in Mark, Jesus has compassion on people. And what does he do? He teaches them. And fathers teach their children. He provides through instruction. And ultimately, he provides by doing what we could never do to live a sinless life, to die an atoning death. He provides for us in ways big and small. He provides for us. But there's another way he fathers us. He protects us. A father provides and a father protects from our enemies. And how does he protect us from our enemies? By defeating our enemies. Our enemies of sin and death. As it were, enemies on the outside. But also our father protects us amazingly from ourselves. We see the fatherly care in Hebrews 12 where it speaks of a father's love for a son means a father disciplines his son. So you know the enemy is not just sin out there. The enemy is sin in here and his fatherly care disciplines us. And brothers and sisters, as the scriptures say, when you're undergoing discipline from the Lord, Rejoice. You're part of his family. You're a cherished and loved child. Because Jesus is everlasting Father, he does not leave us as orphans. Uh, turn with me over to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, if you've got your Bible. Jesus is approaching his crucifixion. He's meeting with his disciples, and beginning in verse 15 of chapter 14, he says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. And then verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. 
Hebrews is right. Uh, We're reminded the Lord says, never will I leave you nor forsake you. And here specifically, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as fatherless. He is our provision. He is our protection. He is strong enough to rescue. He remains strong enough to rule. This fourfold name of King Jesus is an amazing description of the coming and the returning king. As wonderful counselor, he has the wisdom. He guides and speaks with divine wisdom. As mighty God, he has the power. He rules and reigns with divine strength. As everlasting father, he has the heart where the wisdom and the power are combined to care for his children. Remember those two messages I got in the speakers, one at the big retail store and the other at a smaller store and a restaurant? You know what those two speaker systems were doing? They were asking for the affections of our heart, my heart and your heart, because our hearts long for security, for stability, for protection and provision. Am I right? I mean, do any of us look forward to instability? Do any of us look forward to a lack of security? Do any of us not want to be provided for or protected? No, it's an absolute wired-in, hardwired, as it were, need. We long, in other words, for a king. We long for a father. And these two messages that were coming out We're asking me and all of us to say, where is our home? Where do we and with whom are we ultimately belonging to? What is the dominant driving orientation of our lives? Is it the temporal? Get it now. It's on sale. Get it while it lasts. Or rather, was it the eternal that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he shall reign forever and ever. Get it now? He shall reign. We want a father who knows what will happen to us, don't we? And Jesus knows the end from the beginning. We want a father who will not fail because all of our earthly fathers cannot fail, even if they do everything absolutely right, which they don't, but imagine they did, they will fail us because they will leave us. They will die. So if Jesus is everlasting father, is this title of Messiah is everlasting father, then who are those that follow him? What are they called? If he is everlasting father, What are his disciples called? What are his followers called? If he is father, we are children. Children. Did you hear the New Testament reading in stereo? Mark, Luke. It's rare that sometimes it's word for word. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. 
Have you stopped to think about that? Receiving like a child. Receiving like a child who looks into the eyes of his or her parents in trust, in joy, in thankfulness, knowing that you are receiving a gift that you could not earn or deserve. Jesus tells the learned Nicodemus, hey, unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, unless you receive it like a child, you will not enter the kingdom. Let's go back to Charles Dickens as we wrap up. This time, a shorter novel or a novella written in 1843, A Christmas Carol. You know the story. Ebenezer Scrooge, right? Picture in your mind, Bah Humbug. The man who counts his pennies, who is, has no compassion, no gentleness. He's only thinking about himself. And you remember he's visited by angels, right? Angel of Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas future. Well, old, miserly, Ebenezer Scrooge wakes up on Christmas morning, doesn't he? Those of you that are familiar with the book or the, the movie know that Ebenezer Scrooge awakens on Christian morning with love and joy in his heart. He has become like a child. Like a child. You know, Scripture is clear. We are to grow out of childish ways. And we are to go from milk to solid food, are we not, as we grow up? But Jesus also says, unless you receive the kingdom like a child, you will not enter it. With joy, with thankfulness, with gratitude, Ebenezer Scrooge, old, angry, self-absorbed man, becomes like a child. And there is joy and love in his heart. Jesus Christ, he fathers us, a compassionate provider and protector. Y'all are familiar with this hymn, Hymn 76. Praise my soul, the King of heaven. Verse 3. Father-like, he tends and spares us. Well, our feeble frame he knows. In his hands, he gently bears us, rescues us from all our foes. Jesus is father-like to the least and the lost. In other words, Jesus is father-like to us because that's who we are. Brothers and sisters, there is plenty to do in the Christian life. But what we must do must flow from and be anchored to what we believe. And what we are being called to believe right now is that in the person and work of Jesus Christ, we have, remember, for us, to us a child is born, to us a son is given. What we have in Jesus Christ is an everlasting father, one who will not forget us, one who will not fail us, and one who will not leave us. Not only is he everlasting father, 
He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, and as we will see next week, he is the prince of peace. Brothers and sisters, come to Jesus and find rest in the arms of the king, the everlasting father. Amen. Almighty God, our heavenly father, we do give you thanks for this name that you have revealed for the coming Messiah. And we thank you, Father, that he has come and he has defeated once and for all the enemies of sin and death. Oh, Lord, for those of us who have no father, for those of us who have a father that does not or cannot live up to that which we need, we thank you that in Christ, our King, we have one who cares with us as a father cares for his children. Father, give us growing understanding of our Lord and Savior and give us a growing desire to live no longer for ourselves, but for the one who has redeemed us and the one as a good father continues to rule us. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.